If you're watching on YouTube, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 1 this morning. So last week, last week we looked at John's account of the birth of Jesus. We're looking at three of the Gospels. Mark really doesn't include uh, the birth of Jesus at all. Um, and so some of the authors, Bauer, Matthew and Mark, kind of, there's some overlap between those two books. Uh, Matthew, um, and then Luke. Luke's a little more unique. Luke was not a disciple, right? Matthew was a disciple. Uh, John Mark was part of the mix, but he was not a disciple. Um, and then you have John that was definitely a disciple, very close to Jesus. But John's gospel is a little bit different because he doesn't have baby Jesus. He doesn't have shepherds. He doesn't have wise men. He has, hey, the flesh, the word of God became flesh and dwelt amongst us, right? So a little more, why did Jesus come? A little more the theological, the philosophical reason there. Um, different crowd, different perspective. You know, and that, that's the way our, our lives, how we communicate Christ through our life is going to come, um, is going to be different for each of us, right? Based upon our experience, based upon how God has wired us. And we see that in these authors. Matthew um, his audience, does anybody know his, his audience, who he was writing to? Wow, man, George is up on her study. She nailed it, right? Yeah, Matthew was to the Jewish population. John was more to the Greeks, all right? And that's maybe why he said the Logos, the living word of God, became flesh, right? Um, and so um, they each had their different... Um, target audience. So yes, Matthew was very much targeted towards the Jews. And so even the lineage of Jesus is found in Luke and Matthew, but they're different. They, they, they come from different angles, okay? Um, from Adam and then from, I believe, from Abraham. And so, yes, so Matthew's is Abraham, and I believe Luke's is starts with Adam and the lineage of Christ. So we're going to be looking at Matthew's account, not the whole thing, but we're going to look at um, Joseph. Um, the end of chapter 1 of Matthew, starting with verses 18 through 25. So uh, before we do, let's just bow our heads in prayer today. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is the living word of God that engages our life. And Lord God, we can learn so much through it, not only just the teaching that is geared for us and meant for us, but Lord God, just how you interacted with real people. Because it gives us an idea of how you also uh, work in our lives. And some of the things that we deal with now are not new. People that have gone before us have wrestled with some of those very same issues. And so, Lord God, we can find hope, we can find strength, we can find wisdom uh, as we engage your word. And so, Lord God, do that this morning as we come before you. And in your name we pray. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Matthew 1, 18 through 25. This is how it went down, is what Matthew says. So in this is how the birth of Jesus. It's kind of interesting just that phrase. If you look in the original language, uh, it's basically saying this is what went down. The birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, okay, do we all know what that means? Do we need to go into biology class? All right, we're, we're talking about the sexual union there, okay? All right. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit, all right? And so we, uh, if you take biology, you know that that is usually necessary for uh, pregnancy to happen. Verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, so he was a good man, he followed the, will, the, the law of the Lord, 
and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. So what would happen if he would have revealed that Mary was pregnant? Yeah, the law would have called for her to be stoned, right? And most of our translations say that they were engaged, all right? Um, or pledged, the NIV says pledged to be married. Uh, it's betrothed. Um, just back in that system in that day, that meant that they were committed to one another. It was like engagement, but it wasn't, you couldn't break it. The only way you could break it is getting divorced, okay? But the wife would still live with her father until the wedding day. At that point, he would take her to the husband's house. Um, the wedding ceremony would happen. They'd consummate the, the marriage. Um, they would celebrate, sometimes not just for three, four hours, okay, but sometimes, a lot of times for days, okay, they'd celebrate a wedding, right? Uh, it's a joyous event. All right, so the only way it could be broken is through divorce, okay? Um, and, and, and so um, it gives us a little bit of an idea here. And so Joseph had a choice being the person he was, he, wasn't, he didn't want anything to happen, bad happen to Mary, so he's going to try and quietly divorce her and uh, probably go on with his life, and she would go on with hers. Verse 20, But after he had considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. So that's taken from Isaiah seven fourteen, Emmanuel meaning God with us. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded. He took Mary home and his wife. But they did not consummate their marriage. They had no sexual relations until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name, what? Jesus. All right. So what do we learn? What can we pull away from uh, this passage as we look at the life of Joseph, of Mary, of the birth of Jesus? So there's five things that I'm going to pull out of this, all right? So usually I go three. So I'm going to stretch you today, all right? You're going to have to do five, all right? So you might, hopefully you brought a pen with a lot of ink in it. All right. First of all, we learned that the birth of Jesus would be miraculous, right? So the birth of Jesus would not be by human means, but born of God. Why was that? Why was that? Fulfill the prophecy? Yeah. Would Jesus be known as the son of Joseph? Well, yeah, kind of. From the outside, it would look like that. But technically, he would be known as the son of God, right? the Son of God. Uh, Mary would get pregnant, but it would not be the result of human effort or involvement. It'd be supernatural. Um, this would verify that Jesus was God's Son. It would fulfill Scripture. Uh, and it also communicated that it was part of God's plan. It was His idea, His way to love the world and to save it. Um, it's pretty cool that God did this miracle, right? We see throughout Scripture, you'd see where um, I'm thinking of um, Jacob and um, his wife, Rebecca, that couldn't have, you know, that's the one that he loved, but she couldn't have kids. It was a divine thing where God heard their prayer and she was able to conceive. And so God is able to allow that to happen, but in this case, it seems like God did a supernatural work without human involvement 
And she became pregnant. She conceived and was pregnant with this unborn child. Um, you know, and that's pretty cool. But sometimes the miracles of God, did you know the miracles of God can sometimes make your heart life a little harder? You ever thought of that? What did the miracle of God accomplish for Mary and Joseph? It was pretty cool that they were part of God's plan, right? But now they had to explain how Mary was pregnant without them being unfaithful or, you know, sneaking out at night, right? They had to explain what had happened. They had to face the stairs. They had to, um, you know, people didn't understand what God, this miracle, right? People don't get pregnant, right? outside of human means. At least that's what they thought. And, and so Mary and Joseph had to deal with this miracle that would be understood by most of the world, right? The stares, the misunderstandings. Um, and so um, Jesus' birth would be miraculous, but it also created their own issues for Mary and Joseph. And sometimes when God works in our lives, sometimes I'm, you know, I don't think it's all the time, but there may be times where the miracle of God can actually make your life more difficult and make it more interesting. And we're going to tie into that here in a little bit. Secondly, the birth of Jesus would be redemptive, right? Joseph is instructed by the angel to give the baby the name Jesus because um, he would save his people from their sins. Uh, Jesus in the, is the Greek form of Joshua, okay? So the New Testament's written in Greek. And Joshua, we all know the story of Joshua, right? He would lead Israel into the promised land. But Jesus literally means Yahweh is salvation. Yahweh is salvation. And so Yahweh is the Hebrew name for God. So when you're reading your Old Testament, you see LORD in all caps, right? L-O-R-D, and it's all caps. That is a reference to Yahweh. So that name was so sacred to the Jewish people that they never referred to God by the name Yahweh. Instead, they would call him Jehovah, right? It still kind of took um, into some consideration the, the word form, but they felt like the name of Yahweh was so holy and so sacred that they would refer to God as Jehovah and not as Yahweh. But whenever you see that, Jesus means that Yahweh, God, is our salvation, and Isaiah points to this in his prophecy in Isaiah 53, 1 through 5. So this is written years, hundreds of years before Jesus would be born, right? But it's a favorite passage. We refer to it often. Um, Isaiah 52, 53, it's called a servant song. It's a prophecy. It's a reference to this, this servant that would come to Israel and bring redemption. And this is what it says. It says, who believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And if you go back into chapter 52, the last part of it, it's going to talk about the wisdom of God and God's plan of salvation. It would not be understood by the world. And in fact, it would be, it didn't seem reasonable. It was kind of like, you know, a trick play, right? All right? It would trick even Satan, right? Okay? Because he, he takes Jesus to the cross. He thinks, oh, I've won, right? And, in, and instead, he just provided salvation for all the world. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. So Isaiah talks about the, the shoot coming out of the ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. 
So Jesus wasn't uh, like this uh, model, okay? Now, I think he was good looking, all right? But there wasn't anything about Jesus that says, hey, I'm going to follow him just because of his looks. Or that he was born into royalty. Verse 3, instead he was despised and rejected by mankind, right? He was a man of suffering. He was familiar with pain. Like one whom people hide their faces, he was despised and was held in low esteem. Especially, think about that, when he is being taken to the cross, he's been flogged, and he's carrying the cross, and he's going to Golgotha to bear our sin. And instead of the people that had followed him, you know, on the hillside and had gone from place to place, and maybe even those that have been healed, instead of them jumping in there and showing their support, they're quiet, they are silent as Jesus makes his way to the cross. He bore our suffering, our pain, our humiliation. We despised, we rejected him. Surely he took up our pain and he bore our suffering. And yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. Anybody that died on the cross was dying because the punishment of their sin, of their wrongs. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he wasn't dying for his sin, but ours. It was placed upon him. Verse 5, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus was the Lamb of God that would take away the sins, our sins, of the world. The birth of Jesus would be redemptive. You know, and it, it, it's great that at Christmas time we worship that God sent us his son and the birth of Jesus, right? But see, there was the end game that he would die on the cross at about age 30, 33. He would die on the cross for our sins. Still a young man, I think, right? Right? He would die on the cross for our sins. His birth would be redemptive. It was the whole purpose that he would live amongst us and ultimately down the cross for our sins. Number three, Jesus would bring God close. Isaiah 7, 14 says, The virgin will give birth to a son, and his name will be called, what, Emmanuel, right? So that's Isaiah 7, 14. If you go back and look at the context there, I preached on this last year about this time, is that it was a prophecy that was given through Isaiah, and, and Ahaz was the king of Israel at that time. And Ahaz, uh, it was a difficult moment. People were coming against him. He's getting pressured to form alliances that weren't right, he didn't feel comfortable with. He was not a God-fearing per- person for the most part. But Isaiah comes to him and says, I'm going to give you a sign. You haven't asked for a sign, but I'm going to give you one anyway. The virgin will be a child, and you'll give him the name. Emmanuel. So if you go back and do some history there, um, Ahaz's wife would give birth to a son. His name would be Hezekiah, and he would be a good king of Israel. He would follow in the steps, follow after Ahaz, but he would be a good king. He'd bring deliverance to Israel, and he would rule during a very difficult time. God, hand of God would be upon him. So there was some immediate fulfillment to the prophecy of Isaiah. But I, Matthew sees that, you know what, there was a far-reaching prophecy that, that it still was going to be fulfilled. It was pointing to that Jesus would be ul- the ultimate fulfillment of that. He would be Emmanuel, God with us. Emmanuel was never technically given, you know, Jesus when he was a young boy or when he got older. They, got, they didn't say, hey, Emmanuel, come and do stuff with us, right? His name was Jesus, right? 
but the point of Emmanuel is that um, it indicates that his role, his role is to bring God's presence to us, to you and I. His meaning is related to the actual name, Jesus. It is that in this, he took care of our sin that separates us from God, right? Did you know that sin does that? Sin separates us from God. And so when Jesus went to the cross, he was removing sin so that God could come near to us and have fellowship with us. Um, God's holy, right? You ever figured God's holy and yet he's gracious and loving, right? He's both. He's not either or. He is both. And the only way he can be holy and the only way he can be loving is that he has to deal with sin. Sin has to be punished, right? And so Jesus did not sweep our sin under the rug and say, I'm just going to ignore it. I'm going to sweep it under the rug. He dealt with it, right? He punished it. But that meant that it was his son that would bear our sin and would go to the cross for our sin. And so this is prophesied all the way back in Genesis 3. If you want to turn there, it'll be up on the screen. But Genesis 3.15 is one of the first prophecies that we see in Scripture. It happens in the garden, right? Adam and Eve are there. They're enjoying the garden, the fruit, and all the beauty that is there. It's just Adam and Eve, right? Just a beautiful picture. And God would come down in the cool of the day and walk with them, right? Isn't that pretty cool? Just going on at your evening walk and God is there right there with you, right? That's pretty cool, right? And then Satan comes into the picture, right? And he goes, hey, Eve, doesn't that fruit look really, really good? She goes, yeah, it kind of does. But God says we can't take any of that fruit. Oh, was, did he really mean that? Well, I don't know. He, this, he really didn't mean that literally, Right? And so she takes the apple, takes a bite, gives it to Adam. He takes a bite. And we have our first sin, the fall of mankind. And it's in that context that we see the curse. There's going to be a curse upon the land. Pain during pregnancy and childbirth. We're going to have to work the ground with sweat on our brow, right? All that is part of sickness and disease. Sometimes I get asked the question, why, do we, why does God allow sickness and disease? That's not God's plan, right? He came to heal, to save, right? That's what he did when Jesus came across, upon this earth. Sickness and disease is, is linked to the curse. And when we get to heaven, there will be no more sickness, no more pain, no more disease. But this is what he says in verses, chapter 3, verse 15. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between Satan and the woman. Enmity, I know you use that in your vocabulary every day, all right? It means hostility, hostility between Satan and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He, referring to Jesus, will crush your head. He's going to crush the serpent's head. Anytime I do that to a snake, it doesn't live, okay? I'm just saying. And it's referring to a mortal wound. In other words, whatever that head got crushed of in Satan, it's, it's done for. He's done. Now, we know that Satan is still alive. He's still doing his thing. But one day, his head's going to be crushed. Amen? It's going to be crushed. But Satan will strike his heel, referring to the offspring of Eve. And that refers to a wound, but it's not fatal. Think of the cross. It seemed to be fatal, but Jesus was resurrected on the third day, right? 
And so we see the promise that all the way back in Genesis, God has a plan to restore the fellowship that mankind had with God the Father, to walk with God, to have fellowship with God. That's what God desires. But you know what separated us from God in that way? Sin. And in order for us to have fellowship with God, sin must be dealt with. Back then and even still today in the day that we live in. This is what Paul says in Galatians chapter 4, 4 through 7. But when the time had been fully set, God sent his son born of the woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive the adoption to sonship. So Denise, you were singing about that, right? You didn't know what I was going to preach on, right? Yeah. Because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. Father, Father is what that means. And you are no longer a slave, but God's child. Since you are his child, God has also made you an heir. Wow, so you're a child of God, and you know what? You get his inheritance, right? The hope of heaven, eternity with God. Isn't that cool? I always want to get an inheritance. We did get some back a few years ago. Once our sin was removed, we have peace with God, and we can have fellowship with him. That's why Jesus had to go to the cross, so that we could have that um, in our lives. And like Adam and Eve had with God in the garden. I believe that is what God desires to have with us. And so he put a plan in place, our redemption. The birth of Jesus was redemptive. All right, let's look at four and then we got five. Number four, Jesus' birth would demonstrate that we are part of God's divine plan. How many of you want to be on the team? How many of you want to be picked? All right. You ever, you know, when you're in school, at least that's what I remember, you know, you pick teams. Say, I want to be picked, right? A lot of times we want to be picked first, right? You know what? God has picked you. He wants you to be part of his plan, and he includes us as part of his divine plan. I don't know why in the world God would trust us, right? We're human. We're flawed. We sometimes really, you know, we can turn our back on God. Um, Sometimes our heart is our heart is hard our heart is hard or cold towards god and yet god used used and uses people for his divine plan think of mary and joseph he used them to fulfill his divine plan anna and simeon they were they had that prophetic and they they bless him in the temple 8 days later the wise men and the shepherds So you have the wise men. They were probably wealthy. They had responsibilities, okay? They were a little more higher up on the social class. But then you have the shepherds. They were on the bottom rung, folks. I mean, they they, they smelled, right? Right? When people, when they came in, they could tell that, oh, they're the shepherds, right? They didn't have to see them. They could tell that they were there, right? Um, The shepherds just weren't high on the social class. But God revealed to both the wealthy, and to the poor, to all people that his son had been born. And he includes us in his plan. Ordinary people. Could God save the world by himself? You you think so? Somebody said yes. I think since he is God, he probably could have. But in the wisdom of God, he includes you and I. And I don't know if I can fully understand that. 
that's maybe one of the questions when we get to heaven, say, God, why, why, why do you entrust us with the delivery of, of telling other people about God, about you, about the plan of salvation? He does. He includes us. We're flawed. We're ordinary. We can be, I know some of you are quirky. I'm not, but you, some of you, no. <laughs> we're quirky, Right? But God wants to use us. He, he includes us in his plan. He included Mary and Joseph. We don't know. They were good people. They were humble people. But I don't think they were like on the, you know, the top 100 list of people that you want to know in Jerusalem or Bethlehem at that time. But from the beginning of the Bible to the end, you see that God uses ordinary people to advance his kingdom. And you know what? God doesn't look at our outward appearance, does he? What does he look at? He looks at the heart. You know, David, when he was anointed king, Samuel went through the list of all the boys and said, nope, not him, not him, not him. But he's good looking. Nope, not him. You got any more sons? Well, yeah, there's David. He's out in the field minding the sheep. Go get him. God says he's the one. God looks at our heart. You know, and it's a humbling thought that God would use us. It's a, you know, Mary and Joseph, we don't know if it, it doesn't appear that they were anything special in the world's eyes. But what a humbling thought that God would entrust you with his son. Women, think about that. That God would entrust you to be the mother of the Son of God. And fathers, think about that, that he would entrust you to raise up the Son of God. Humbling, isn't it? It's humbling that God would use you and I to accomplish his kingdom purpose, but he does. It's part of the birth of Jesus, and it's still part of God's plan still today. Um, God wants to equip his people to do his work, to be a vessel that he can work through. Amen? And number five, God demonstrates... The birth of Jesus demonstrates that we can trust God in the mystery. Uh, this is something that I think we even touched upon it in youth group here the last week or two. We talked about mystery because Paul does talk about the mystery of God quite, quite a bit. But we can trust God in the mystery. That word mystery is used 26 times in the NIV. So depending on the translation you went with, it might be a little more, less or more. But mystery is knowledge in this context, context is knowledge known only to God, which he reveals at his discretion. God knows it all, right? He knows, we ta- read that this morning. He knows even before you were born, he knows the story of your life. But I've never had God just lay it out for me, right? In time of prayer or just reading his word, he hasn't said, hey, this is going to happen next, and then this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. I wish he would do that, right? I wish he would do that, but he doesn't. Mystery is knowledge that God knows. No, I think there's times that if we knew what God had in store for our life, we would say, oh, no, God, we're not going to do that. That's going to happen. That's going to happen. Maybe good, bad. It'd freak us out. Instead, God, usually the, what I find is that God takes us one step at a time. He reveals the knowledge that we know 
we need to know for that next step, for the next day, for the next moment. Mary and Joseph would be told some of the details about how Jesus would be conceived. But there's a lot of things they didn't fully understand. You know, they're living in Bethlehem in a home. Jesus is getting older. The wise men come by at some point, give expensive gifts. You know what? Maybe those gifts, maybe those gifts were served a purpose because all of a sudden in the middle of the night, actually it probably wasn't a knock on a door, but it was an angel saying to Joseph, hey, get all your stuff. You need to go in the middle of the night because Herod is going to try to kill your son. And they escape to Egypt and live there until Herod dies. You know what? Maybe those expensive gifts helped pay the way on their trip. They didn't have a lot of money. God provided for them. And then God gets their attention again and says, hey, I want you to go back up. And they lived in Nazareth, right? And then he begins a great public, well, and then he gets, you know, age 12, and they're walking home from, and all of a sudden they lose Jesus, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, you can lose a lot of things. But what if you lose Jesus, Rebecca? That would be terrible, right? (laughs) They lost Jesus, right? They can't find him anywhere, right? Where's he at? He's in the temple teaching. That's kind of like, Wow. They knew he was going to be the son of God, but they didn't know all the details. And then it comes to the end of Jesus' ministry, and he's on the cross dying. And Mary's there, right? And there was prophecies that says your own heart is going to be torn. She probably didn't know what that meant. But on that day, her heart would be ripped in two as she saw her son crucified on a Roman cross. Joseph, we don't isn't there, so we assume that he had already passed away. And so she would have to deal with that alone. Deal with watching her son die upon the cross. Um, you know, the mystery. God revealed some of the things, but not all the things. And I believe that God still leads us in a similar fashion. He calls us to trust Him even though we don't have all the details and know what the future holds. Hebrews, we've been kind of going back to Hebrews a lot, but Hebrews 11 says, Now faith is a confidence, is confidence in what we hope for, the assurance of what we do not see. And then he goes down to verse 6. He goes through a couple people that he lists. And then he says in verse 6, And without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. So that means walking by faith even though you can't see, right? This is what I find in life. You can put your own spin on it, but sometimes we walk through life and I can see clearly, okay? Today's a clear day. I don't know, how far can you see? A mile or two maybe? Um, Pretty good clarity. But I cannot see 10 miles, at least from this viewpoint. I can see quite a ways because it's clear, it's light out. I can see quite a ways. But then there's times that God says, it's like walking at night. Okay? And I do that quite a bit. I don't sleepwalk, but I do go hunting and stuff like that. And so often if I go in the mornings, I'm walking in there in the dark, you know. And I don't usually use the flashlight. 
I only get, use a flashlight if I really get in trouble. But usually I, I, I know my place is good enough that I can totally navigate them at, at night. I can see the trails. I can see the stars, the moon. It's enough guidance to get me to where I need to go. But I can't see much beyond 10, 20 feet at the most. You can see s outlines in the sky. But then there's times that it's like going into a cave. You ever been into a cave? You ever been there where they got the lights in there and then they turn the lights off? And then you go like this and you can't see the hand in front of your face? There's times that God says, I'm going to want you, I want you to walk totally by faith. You can't see a thing. And you have to take my hand and trust me. There's different seasons in life. There's times that God reveals more and there's times that God doesn't share a thing and he says, you have to trust me in the mystery and take my hand and trust me. It's a little bit walking in the dark and, and following somebody, holding on to the hand. You, there has to be a sense of trust there, doesn't it? And I think there's those times that we have to take his hand and trust him. Um, you know, the longer I live, I know more things through my experience, through my learning. There's a lot more I know than I when I was 12 or 16 or 21, right? I know a lot more. But like Mary and Joseph, I still find myself walking by faith and being led by His hand. Walking by faith and being led by His hand. He provides the guidance that I need for today and for that next step. And I, and I think we can learn so much from Mary and Joseph that they, they, they rolled. You know when I use that term, roll with it, you roll with it, right? They went with God's plan, even though they didn't understand everything that was going to happen. Maybe that's one of the reasons that God says, hey, I, I, I can invest in these people. I can use these people because they're going to trust me, even though they don't understand it all. And maybe you'd say, you know what, if I had an angel come to me in the middle of the night and reveal themselves, maybe, maybe I would trust God. Well, I hope I would. I hope you would. But, you know, it's still that trust, isn't it? Amen? It's still that trust in God. Musicians come up. I think Denise is here, but um, yes, there she is. Yes, come on up. I should have gave you a little bit earlier cue, but. So what I have learned is to trust God in the mystery. Amen? Um, and I don't know how that lands with you this morning. Um, I know that we are all in different seasons of life and uh, where we're at with God. But that's something that God will take me through seasons in life. There's times where um, you're on the mountaintop and God just seems so real and it's kind of like everything's so clear. I can see for miles from a mountaintop, right? Not just the one or two miles. I can see long ways. But here's the truth of the matter. We live most of our life in the, in the valley, don't we? In the valley. Sometimes in the valley you can't see as far. And you have to hold his hand and trust him. So would you stand this morning? I'm going to lead us in a prayer of salvation. Uh, I just never know who's listening, and I just don't even know, even here today, uh, where our heart is. I know most of you. I know where most of you stand, but 
Maybe there's somebody that's just, today's their day. And so I want us to pray together and just invite Christ into our heart and our life. I believe the salvation prayer is the beginning. It's, I don't know if it's, it's just that first step that as I'm going to trust God and I'm going to trust Him completely. Um, it's the beginning of the journey. But it's that first step. So let's join together today and just pray that prayer of salvation. Dear God, forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me of all unrighteousness. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and my Savior. And walk with me each day of my life. In Jesus' name we pray. And Lord, I pray for each one here today. There's maybe some that are walking in the middle of the daylight and everything seems pretty clear and they can see a long ways. There's not a lot of question. They just sense the confidence of God, God's presence. And Lord God, I just pray you go before them and your favor can be with them. But Lord God, there's maybe some that are walking at night. They, they see some of the details, but it's still kind of sketchy. They just, they're walking slowly trying to discern your plan. And God, I just we just pray for guidance and your favor there, Lord God. Give them the wisdom they need for that next step and the clarity. And Lord God, there's some of us maybe here this morning that are just in, the, we're in that cave and the lights are out. It's total darkness. We don't know which step to take or which way to turn. And Lord God, I pray that if that's us this morning, that that you, we can sense just your outstretched hand and that we can trust you as we grab a hold of your hand and trust you, Lord God, that you will lead us through and go before us, that we can trust you in the mystery. We can trust you, that you are faithful, that we are part of your, your plan to save the world. We play a crucial role. God, give us dreams, give us visions. Lord, place the fire of God in our heart and our life, Lord God. Wake us up in the middle of the night of people to pray for and people that need to come to Christ. Wake us up in the middle of the night, Lord God, with dreams of what you want to do through us and in us, Lord God. Dreams and visions just weren't for Old Testament times and New Testament times and biblical times. God, one of the promises that God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit, your young men will dream dreams and visions. Upon both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in the last days. Sometimes God speaks through his word and through prayer, but sometimes he speaks through his Holy Spirit, through dreams and visions. Oh God, guide your people, I pray. Amen. I, uh, Psalms 113, 115, 114. Uh, I was reading just in my devotional time, and the one that was called the Psalm of Confidence. What is a Psalm of Confidence? It's a Psalm that is declaring the faithfulness of God and to trust in God. And sometimes we, we sense it, we feel it. There's other times that we say, hey, I trust in God. It's a statement, right? 
It's a statement that I'm going to trust in God, right? It's a statement of confidence. Uh, Sometimes we just need to draw that line in the sand and say, I'm going to trust in God completely. Because he's faithful. He's been faithful in the past. I know he's going to be faithful in the future, this next day. I may not understand how, but he's going to be faithful. Amen. Father, this morning we are your people. We are called by your name. We are called out of darkness and into your glorious light. Lord God, you've called us to be the people of God, to be your light to the rest of the world, to sing forth your glorious praises, Lord. And so, Lord God, go before us this week, even this day, Lord God. May we sense your presence, your strength in our lives, Lord God. Lord God, you have not called us to be living in the shadows. You've called us to live with confidence. You've called us to live with boldness. Lord God, with the presence of God in our life, our world is searching for the truth. And Lord God, they're searching for the truth in our lives. They're looking to people that have a sense of that, man, what's different about their life? How come the things of this world aren't getting them down? How come they're not stressed about this? How come they have a smile on their face? Lord God, the world is looking to us. And sometimes the loudest thing that we can tell them is through our actions and how we live each and every day, by our expression, by our attitude how we interact with our world, how we treat people. Lord God, go with us this week. You've given us the hope of God. We thank you that you sent your Son to us. Help us to embrace and to trust you in the mystery. Help us to live this week. Lord God, let the truth of the birth of Christ change and transform us. Let it overflow in our hearts with praise and worship towards you. We give you the thanks. We give you the praise. We ask in the name of Jesus. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you this morning. Greet each other as you leave. God bless you.